you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to the inerrant and God-breathed words of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll start reading at verse 15. Our sermon this morning will be from verses 24 and 25, but we'll read this greater section around it to give the context and to hear the voice of our Savior. Hebrews 10:15. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, is no long, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, would you join me in a word of prayer coming near to the very Savior and Lord who spoke these words to us. Let's draw near to him, our great high priest. 
before we come to the exposition of his word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. You are our great high priest. You are our savior. You are our Lord. You are the one who is our rescuer and in whom we have hope. And because of you, we are able to draw near to God as our Father. A perfect Father, a loving Father, a good Father, a holy Father. And Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for having given us a treasure of infinite worth that far exceeds anything that this world has to offer. We thank you for giving us the life of your Son. Jesus Christ. We thank you for giving us the life of your Son whose blood was shed so that we might be forgiven of our many sins and our sinfulness, so that we might be filled with your Spirit and your Word rather than the Spirit of this world, and so that we might have a new heart and a new life and a new family in Christ, the Church, the Bride of Christ. We thank you for this incredible treasure, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and his presence in our lives through his Spirit that has given us this confidence to draw near to you together in our time of need so that we might receive the mercy and grace, O Lord, that we so desperately need. And so this morning, as the household of God, as the family of God, as your children, Father, this is what we do. We draw near to you. And we draw near to you with hearts that have been made true and clean by the blood of Christ. And we draw near because we love you. And we delight in you. And we desperately need you. And because your Son, Jesus Christ, is our only hope. And we draw near to you, especially in these dark days of a global pandemic and civil violence and unrest knowing that you are sovereign and that you have a purpose and a plan and that you care for your children. And Lord Jesus, that you are the good shepherd who watches over his sheep even as you lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. And Lord, we know that what we are witnessing in these days around us is but a foretaste and warning of your divine judgment written in your word that is soon to come. A time and a day where you will hold all men accountable for their hearts and for their deeds with a holy fire. Where all men will know that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we ask, O Lord, this day for your help. Would you help us, Lord, to hold fast the confidence of our hope without wavering? Would you help us to endure as a people by faith the many trials and temptations that pull us away from you? Would you help us, Lord, to encourage one another and to stir one another up to love and good deeds as the day of your coming draws near? Would you help us to find our only hope and joy in your Son, Jesus Christ? Lord, in all these things, we ask that you would provide a way for us as a church and a family that we might be able to gather together face to face to worship you soon. Lord, we pray for all the churches throughout the world who are struggling with this very same issue. You have called us to be a people set apart and to be together in union with you and in union with one another. And yet for this time and season, 
by your hand and your decree, you have prohibited that to some degree that we can gather together as a people. And this has been a challenge for the leaders of the church and the members of the church. And so we just come to you and ask that you would enable us to walk worthy of the gospel during this difficult time. We pray, Lord, for Lighthouse Bible Church in San Jose, but also in Los Angeles and in San Diego and in Orange County. Lord, we pray for Grace Community Church. We pray for Baltimore Bible Church. We pray for the Grove in Tampa. Lord, we pray for the unity and purity of your church in Christ, and we pray for the leaders of these churches and the members who are just being pressed at this time, that they might endure and be filled with your joy and your hope, especially this Sunday morning. Lord, we pray for the members of our church at this time who are suffering loss at this time, whether it's the loss of a job, the loss of friends, the loss of family members, Lord, whether it's through death or other reasons, even just the separation. We think at this time of G and Grace and Taylor and Dylan. We think of Christine as well, and we think of others in our midst, and we just lift them up to you and ask, Lord Jesus, that their hearts would be comforted by your spirit and your word, and that we as a church would surround them, Lord Jesus, with love and encouragement at this time that they suffer grieving and loss of loved ones. Lord, we think of those in our midst as members of our church whose family members are suffering from illness. And we think of Brittany Fung as she cares for her mother who has cancer at this time. And we think of others, uh, Lord, in our midst whose names we do not know, but who are dealing with similar challenges. Lord, that you would strengthen them with your word and with your love and with your people. Lord, we think of members in our community at this time who are being pressed financially or with the loss of jobs. And we think of others, Lord, who are just simply struggling with illness at various times that it is being pressed even more so during this COVID-19 era where it's challenging to get in and get out. We pray, O Lord, for those who are with child, and we celebrate this truth and reality that you have blessed our church at this time with children, but even babies in the womb at this time. And yet it is uh, at times an anxiety-ridden time to be carrying a child during this time and era. And so we just pray for those families that they would be able to keep their eyes fixed on you. Lord, we lift up to you the families of this church, the singles of this church, the collegians of this church, the individual members of this church. We lift up those who are visiting our church and considering whether to become members or not. Lord, at the end of the day, we look to you, Lord Jesus, to unite our hearts to fear your name together, to love you and to love one another in the way that you have loved us sacrificially and to provide opportunities for us, Lord, to do this. For those in our midst, Lord, who are struggling at this time with sin. For those who are straying. For those who are weak and faint-hearted. For those, Lord, who have gone widely astray. We pray at this time, Lord, for them. We pray, O Lord, that you would do what man cannot do. Would you, through your word, convict them of their sin, but also point them to your incredible love for them. That you are a father who waits for them to come to themselves and to come home. And you wait with a robe of righteousness and you wait with a fatted calf. 
and that you have the capacity, the willingness, and ability to cover a multitude of sins through the death of your Son. We pray, O Lord, for the Vacation Bible School that is coming up this week. We pray for the leaders, the teachers, all those who have labored, but we pray for the children of this church. Lord, this has been a hard season, especially for the children, where they have been separate from their friends and from their brothers and sisters in the church. And so we pray that this would be a week of encouragement, Lord, where they would see not just the lesson, but they would see the Lord who loves them and the church that loves them through these lessons that come this week. And that you would save the children of this church and raise them up for difficult times, that they might carry the torch of the gospel when we are long gone. Pray for our church, Lord. Would you raise up godly men like the Apostle Paul and like Acts 20, who out of their love that you have given them, they are willing to give their lives entirely for the sake of the gospel, to teach and to train and to equip and to send men from this church, Lord, who will take the bright light of the gospel throughout the world. And finally, Lord, we come to you and we pray for this church. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the life that you've given. We thank you before the foundation of time, you ordained that there would be a Lighthouse Bible Church, San Jose, that would be filled with the light and life and love of your Son. And we pray to you, Lord, looking to you, that that fire and that light of the light and love and life of your Son would burn even brighter during this dark season. And may it give light and warmth to the people of San Jose and to the world. And may your lost sheep come to know you. And may there be incredible fruit that comes, even in difficult times. Not because of us, not because we're wise or smart or good. But Lord Jesus, because you have chosen in mercy and grace to dwell among us. And to save us. And to have kindness and compassion like sinners like us. Lord Jesus, for this we thank you. And we rejoice in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, it's uh, a joy and a privilege this morning um, to introduce by way of video a uh, dear friend of mine, Kurt Gebhardt, who is going to be giving us our message and our exposition from God's Word this morning. Kurt, as you know, is a a dear friend of mine. Julie uh, has jested with me that in some ways God had to bring me to Lighthouse Bible Church, San Jose, so that I could have friends who are of similar height and look similar to me. All the friends that she met during my time at TMS seemed to be incredibly tall men who dwarfed me and seemed incredibly different. And Kurt was certainly one of them. He was uh, a pastor and I believe an elder at Grace Community Church when I started working there as an intern. He was a kind encouragement to me during very, very difficult times. And it's through him that I actually met Julie. He called me into his office along with Han Cho, who's now an elder at uh, Grace Community Church. And he asked us to care for a young shepherd who was in his 30s who was dying of brain cancer. And Kurt was unhappy with the care that this young man was receiving from the physicians. This young man grew up in a, in a single parent home. And so Kurt 
very biblically asked uh, myself and some of these other men to come alongside and provide a family and a protection for this man and to assist his mother during this time. And it was very much the gospel being made visible. And it was through that ministry that, in fact, I I, uh, interacted with another young physician who ended up introducing me to my wife, Julie. So I always feel indebted to the Lord and to Kurt for the blessing that comes through men who are just simply obeying the Lord and living the love of Christ. And so uh, Kurt was visiting with us uh, in the San Jose area, visiting his in-laws this week, and very last minute, uh, I just asked, I said, Kurt, would you be willing to give a message and encouragement for our church, which he did. And he's going to give us a message this morning from Hebrews 10, uh, 24 and 25. I know it's going to be an encouragement to you and for those of you who know him. And so uh, without more words, uh, we leave it to our AV team and Kurt to bring us uh, the truth of God's word and an encouragement for you from Christ. Lighthouse Bible Church. Hey, everybody. My name is Kurt Gebhards. Um, I'm glad to be back with you. Uh, a year ago, I lived in Santa Cruz and had the opportunity to come and to be with you, to fellowship with you, to work with uh, some of your uh, children's ministries leaders. What's up, guys? I'm sure you're doing well, even though it's kind of COVID and there's not a lot of that going on. Um, I'm thrilled to be back and uh, to, to fellowship some more with you. I love your pastor. I love your elders. I'm grateful for them and their leadership. Pastor Mark was a huge part of um, encouraging me and keeping me sane while we were here in California looking for a ministry opportunity. And let me just give you an update. Um, We moved to Tampa a year ago to Central Florida to replant a church. And that has been tremendously thrilling and exciting. Um, Lots of ups, lots of downs, just like church work is. Um, The Lord Jesus told us that um, the servant is not greater than the master, and his life was filled with um, peaks and valleys. And so for us, we've had uh, some great opportunities and uh, some some challenges, surges and setbacks for sure. But we're facing one right now, which is really thrilling for us. We're hoping to purchase a building and uh, that will allow us to meet again. We've been renting from a school, and we have every impression that they won't be renting to churches at all. So that means that we don't have any place at all uh, to meet when that all opens up. And so if we're able to purchase a building and have a foothold for gospel progress and evangelism in our community, what a thrill that would be. And so we're actually just beginning those uh, beginning. uh, We just opened contract and we're going to be working on inspections and all that when I return um, uh, in uh, a few days. Uh, I'm currently standing uh, in the Santa Cruz Mountains in, along, uh, in one of my favorite places, a uh, lovely stand of redwood trees. Uh, love this part of the country, and I'm grateful that you get to live here. And wanted to bring you some time in the scriptures out of Hebrews chapter 10. And I want you to be fortified in God's calling on your life and to have purpose for what he has called you to do. I want you to have a well-buckled armor. Hugh Latimer is a guy that I've uh, befriended over the last uh, few weeks, Um, read a biography about him. Uh, He is a man from 16th century Great Britain. He was one of the leading, initial leading voices for the Reformation Um, uh, in, in England in the early 16th century. So three primary names, Cranmer, 
uh, Tyndale and Latimer. Uh, Tyndale, you've probably heard of because he translated the Bible, was martyred for that. Cranmer was um, basically a, a leading uh, magistrate in the government under Henry VIII, and again, talk about roller coaster. That was all over the place. Uh, Henry VIII couldn't figure out if he was Catholic or <laughs> Anglican or Protestant. It was just a mess. And then Latimer. Latimer at one point was the Bishop of Worcester, was actually imprisoned by Henry VIII and then released and uh, sent to go preach. And uh, ultimately, after Henry VIII died and gave way to his son Edward, who was a young man, he reigned from when he was eight years old to 15 years old, who was uh, who um, was Protestant. And then you may know the history that Queen Mary, Bloody Mary, then took the throne uh, after Edward died in his youth. And that was five years of terror for the Protestants. Queen Mary was uh, rabidly Catholic and pursued Protestants and uh, pursued them with their life. And so at one point, uh, Cranmer, Latimer, and a third man named Ridley, a leading voice um, in the Reformation in that day, were all jailed in the Tower of London and waiting basically for their martyrdom, for them to be taken and burnt at the stake. Um, so uh, they would write back and forth through their attendance. They weren't jailed together, and their attendants would swap uh, notes back and forth. And uh, at one point, Ridley asked Latimer to, uh, to pray for him to have strength and faith. And Latimer returned um, the comment saying that he would pray for him, but that he had, had well-buckled armor. Believers, we want your armor to be well-buckled. We want your faith, your conviction, your standing in Christ we want you to enjoy a, a lavish and abundant entrance into the kingdom of God, as it says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11. We want you to be well-established in your faith. And it requires, uh, biblical preaching is required for you to be well-established in your faith. If you want to be imbalanced, uh, receive um, an imbalanced uh, diet nutritionally or, or spiritually speaking. If you want to be well-established and well-buckled in your faith, receive the word of God in a spirit of humility, all of the word of God, all of the tenets, all of the precepts of the word of God. Receive its comfort and receive its commandments. Receive its promises and pay heed to its precepts and what it tells you to do. My point is this, when we go to the word of God, we need to recognize that all of it is his perfect word for us. And some of it's easier for us to receive and some of it's harder for us to receive. But for you to have a well buckled armor, for your faith to be established, then you need to receive all of his words and to receive them humbly and with a spirit of application. So we're in Hebrews chapter 10, and I want to give you a little bit of context. We're actually going to be looking at Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. <clears throat> um, but again, let's set up the book a little bit. Hebrews uh, is broken down into two primary sections, chapter 1, verse 1 through 10, 18. And then in chapter 10, verse 19, to the end of the book is the second section. The first section is dedicated to establishing that Jesus Christ is better. He is a better priest. He brings and inaugurates a better priesthood. He's a better sacrifice. He's better than the angels. God speaks perfectly through Jesus. He's, he's better He's than the Aaronic priesthood. He's the Melchizedekian priesthood. Jesus is better. He's the perfect covenant. He's the perfect fulfillment. He is perfect. And so it's 10 and a half chapters of, of just deliberate, focused engagement on the how Jesus is better. 
And then in verse 19, so a few verses before our passage, he then pivots to the practical section of the book. And um, now the author of Hebrews is going to start helping us to know how to live out that Jesus is better, how to live out that theme. If Jesus is better, then what does that look like? And in verses 19 through 23, the passage immediately preceding ours, he tells us uh, two two things that I want you to, to know this. First, he tells us to... Um, to draw near to the Lord with a true heart. This is a word of communion. Draw near to the Lord with a pure heart. Verse 19. Commune with Jesus. Draw near to him. If he is better, draw near to him with a pure heart. And then he says in verse 22 and 23, to hold fast the confession of our hope in our ministry together. So it's communion. Go to the well. Learn from Jesus appreciate his betterness, his superiority, and then hold fast the confession of your hope, trusting in his promises, trusting in what he's accomplished. And by the way, before we get to verses 24 and 25, let's just make this the foundation of our lives. Let's start every day anchored in the person, work, and words of Jesus, communing with him, holding fast to the confession of our hope, his promises. He's the anchor. Who he is and what he's done is the basis of our life and the strength of our days. You see, he calls us into communion with him and to confess our hope and dependence upon him and his faithfulness and his promises before he calls us into commission for him. And um, a well-buckled faith includes all of this. It's not just doing stuff for Jesus. It's being with him. It's learning from him. It's praying and reading and communing with him deliberately. And so let's commune with him. Let's hold fast our confession. And now let's take up a few commands of commission for him. Let's go to this passage. Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25. The author of Hebrew says this. Therefore, Brothers, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another as you see the day drawing near. You see, the author of Hebrews knows that as we commune with him and as we rely upon him and as we depend upon him, then by all means, we're going to then have an opportunity to express love for others, provoking one another to love and good deeds, assembling together, encouraging one another, and then anchors this um, discussion in verse 25 in this extraordinary, this eternal motivation about the day drawing near. So we're talking about number one, being a Christian catalyst. What is this first phrase here in verse 24? Therefore, brothers, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, how to stimulate, how to challenge, how to stir one another up. This is a Christian catalyst. What's the command here? Therefore, brothers, let us consider let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. The command is to consider. In fact, it occurs 
one other time here in the book of Hebrews, all the way back in chapter 3 and verse 1. It's a very rare verb, actually. This is not a common verb for consider or thinking or calculating. It's it's a word to think deliberately and, um, and to really appreciate and to apply what you've learned. In Hebrews 3, 1, it's used earlier, and, and it bears mentioning, I'll, I'll turn there just briefly, um, were commanded earlier in the book of Hebrews to consider this. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. You see, my friends, before you consider anything else, consider Jesus. Start there. The author of Hebrews purposefully uses the same verb to say, by the way, we start with Jesus. Consider Jesus. Think on, contemplate, Imagine the value of, and then live practically in light of the great apostolic high priestly superiority of Jesus Christ. Consider Jesus. Consider him. Oh, friends, think on him. Think of his value. Think of his worth. Think of his help. Think of his holiness. Think of his, the joy of befriending Jesus and walking with him. Consider Jesus. May our lives be filled with communion of considering Jesus. And then be sure that Jesus wants you to consider others. We fulfill our consideration of Jesus by being like Jesus. What was Jesus like? He loved others, served others, gave to others, sacrificed for others. And when we consider Jesus... We then want to be like him. We want to walk in his ways. And that's why he brings us back to this exact verb in this exact dimension here in Hebrews 10, 24. Consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. So the, the command here, the first one, is to think, to plot, to prepare this stirring up of others. Evil plots, evil plans, evil prepares. And it's normally true that evil is so rapid in its uh, greed and, and desire for territory that it plans, conspires, executes, and finishes before good even puts on his shoes. We, however, as agents of the Lord Jesus, need to be considering how to stir one another up to loving good deeds and be at the task. Let's get out there. Let's be his agents of stirring one another up to loving good deeds. The word here for stirring up actually is a, uh, we get the English word paroxysm from it. If any of you are in the medical field, a paroxysm is like a, a, being suddenly overwhelmed, either psychologically or even physically. And actually, paroxysm is a word used to, to talk about uh, what happens um, in the respiratory system of some COVID victims. It's a sudden and overwhelming, um, uh, sudden and overwhelming rush. And, and it's actually translated agitate or provoke in the NASB, stir up here in the ESV, um, and almost exclusively is used negatively to speak of an adjutant. Um, we're called to consider how to agitate, provoke. You are called to be a Christian catalyst, a holy adjutant, loving, positive, to stir one another up to love and good deeds. 
Um, what's the primary function of a clothes washer? Meaning, what is um, the thing that it does most to promote the washing or the cleansing of the garment? Um, it moves the garments. It agitates, it spins, and it stirs. So what it does most to help the garment be uh, clean and white, for example, is that it stirs it up, it agitates, it it moves the garment back and forth. Because when it does that, the, the fibers begin to, to loosen and open, especially when hot water is used as a secondary catalyst. And and, and then the, the dirt that got then embedded in those fibers is then released. We're called to be holy adjutants in each other's lives, to, to stir up, to provoke, to challenge, to, to love, to, to be there, to, to, to make the difference. We're called to do that so that the, the soil and sullying nature of this world is then released from the hearts of those people that are around us. We're called to consider, to commit to each other, to stir one another up to love and good deeds. I mean, just right now, think about that. Right now, in the notes in front of you, I'm, I, I hope that you're taking notes and, 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 and jotting some of this down. Right now, as you submit to the Holy Spirit, ask him how he wants you to apply this. Maybe jot down the initials of somebody you want to stir up to love and good deeds. Um, and then maybe what, what good deed? Do you want to go evangelizing with somebody? Do you want to um, study something in the scripture with somebody? Or what can you do to consider how you can provoke one another to love and good deeds. This is the Christian catalyst. You see, friends, it's so good for us to receive the clarity of this. these commands for obedience. They provide purpose for us. You know that you're honoring the Lord when you do this in a spirit of love, wanting their best and wanting God's glory in it. And uh, first is our calling to be a Christian catalyst. The second, our second point is here, our need for, our need for connection. The next phrase is not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some. Not neglecting, verse 25, to meet together, as is the habit of some. It is the habit of some to neglect the meeting together, but that sh it should not be named among the brethren. We need connection. We need each other. We need, just like a brick by itself does not constitute a building, or a sheep does not constitute a flock, um, we need a gathering together, an organized um, piling of those bricks on the chief cornerstone to create a building for God's purposes. Um, you know, God thinks in the plural instead of the individual, the singular, and we need each other. We need, and, and, and the author of Hebrews here says it in a negative way, not forsaking or not neglecting the meeting together to say what he says in a negative way, in a positive way, commit yourself to meet together. I'm grateful. I heard from Pastor Mark that you're meeting uh, in the backyards of houses and different groups of people are able to meet together, maybe in groups of about 50 from uh, day to day or Sunday to Sunday. And uh, that's not the whole church, not even close, but it's some people gathering together, prioritize those opportunities and um, be convictionally committed 
to the gathering of the church. And more than just simply gathering on Sundays, I think fundamentally um, this is related to small groups. This is related to us meeting in environments where we can engage each other meaningfully and significantly. And so think about that. This is a different season for sure, but when things begin to normalize, are you committed, are you dedicated convictionally to the gathering of the saints Sunday and then also in a small group setting so that you can then learn, be challenged, stir one another up to love and good deeds. Let's be convictionally committed to one another because we need each other for sure. Love the meeting, prioritize the meeting, prepare for the meeting, and from your heart be convictionally committed to the gathering of the saints. We're called to be a Christian catalyst. We also need connection one with another here in verse 25. And here's a third commandment. So the first was to consider how we can stir one another up to loving good deeds. The second was to be convictionally committed to each other. The third is, what does it say there? As is the habit of some, but encourage one another. This is the third command. This is all things to all people. Um, This word here is parakaleo. It has a very wide lexical range, meaning it it can mean a lot of different things. It's translated, uh, encourage, it's translated challenge. And what the word means is parakaleo. It means to be called alongside of. And it has such a wide lexical range because when you're called alongside of somebody, different people will need different help. Uh, Different situations will require different wisdom, different approaches and different engagement. Um, We need to be mindful and careful and loving about the people that we come alongside of so that we can bless them exactly with what they need. What does the hurting people person, what does the hurting person need? They need a, they need some comfort. What does the broken person need? They need some healing. What does the rebellious person need? They need a warning or a rebuke. Different people need different encouragement. When you're called alongside somebody, you need to have the wisdom and love to know what's happening in their life and then to provide, biblical, biblically speaking, the wisdom that is fitting for their need. And there's a vast array of needs and a vast array of biblical cures, blessings, and balms for those needs. And you are called to be an expert in all that. I had a friend from my church um, call yesterday. And uh, we were talking about a need that arose. And, and uh, he was with a work um, co-worker. And this co-worker was like, well, I, I have a Roman. I was a Roman Catholic. And then I was at a uh, charismatic church. And then I was at an Anglican church. And they're really confused about the gospel. And so my friend was saying, yeah, you know what? I, I, um, I want to get you connected to the pastor. So I was talking to my friend, again, who was talking to the other person who was a little bit confused. And I said, you need to understand, you're completely prepared to engage with 98% of gospel issues that can be, that, that you'll find. And I want you, more than anything, I want you to be strengthened in the robustness of the gospel, strengthened by all of gospel understanding so that you can help your friend. And he's helped and you're strengthened so that you are then doing the work of encouraging one another. And we 
consider how to stir one another up to helping good deeds. We are convictionally committed to each other. We're all things to all people, encouraging one another. And here's number four. A great motivation as you see the day drawing near. It's fascinating to me that the author of Hebrews would take, and he just gave, again, nine and a half chapters, chapters one through nine, 10, one through 118, uh, 10, one through 18, uh, nine and a half chapters of, uh, of motivation. Uh, the Jesus is better. Jesus is the priest. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice once for all. Uh, strength that we have in him. But here he adds another motivation. And it's a motivation of the day drawing near. What is the day that's drawing near? The day that's drawing near is the day of Jesus judgment. Um, this is the day of the Lord and, and it's from the Old Testament, Zechariah and also First Thessalonians 5. is Zechariah 14 and First Thessalonians 5 are two fantastic passages to consider the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a season of judgment followed by a season of joy. You may remember that the Jewish day um, started at 6 p.m. It started in the evening. And so the first part of the day was night, followed by the, the, the second part was day, daytime. Um, so the, the Jewish day started at night, and that's an, an image or an emblem of judgment. And then the second part of it was a day of light or day of joy. And so the day of the Lord, which is, again, next on the eschatological um, spectrum, is Jesus coming in judgment and then Jesus promoting his joy in Christ. And the day of the Lord is intended to be a motivation for believers. And it's used this universally through the New Testament as a way for us to be ready for his return. It's, it's, it, um, think of it this way. What does the idea of Jesus soon return do to your heart? What, what does it do? What does it make you feel? I hope for most of us, it makes us feel two things primarily. It makes us feel thrill and it makes us tremble. That there's th- That we're thrilled by it and that we're trembling because of it. Thrill and tremble. What are some ways in which we're thrilled about Jesus' soon return? Let me just give you a few. Number one, gain. Philippians 121, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you live like Christ, your death will be gain, and that will be thrilling for us. We're considering how the day of his return is motivating to us out of thrill. Another way that it motivates us out of thrill is what Paul says in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.8. He says uh, that he has run the race, he's, he's uh, finished the fight, and that he is anticipating the crown of righteousness, which awaits all of those who long and pray for the appearing of the Lord Jesus. Oh, we long for him to come. What a thrill it is for him to come. First uh, Thessalonians 4.17 says something beautiful. It says, and when he comes back and we're with him after the rapture and we're in his presence, we will be with him always. What a thrill. Our master, our king, our savior, our yoke fellow, our friend, our rabbi, the one who chose us, We'll be with him always. Our substitute, our savior, our risen Lord and king on the throne. We will be with him always. What a thrill. And maybe one additional thrill that I'll add to this, because all of these are motivating for obedience and faithfulness today. The last thrill that I'll add is out of Matthew 25, 23. 
Um, Jesus tells a parable and his servants that are faithful receive this extraordinary approbation. Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of my kingdom. Do you not know that in his presence there is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore? And can you feel the thrill and the honor of Jesus looking at you? You know your mess. You know your worthlessness. You know your junk. You know the, that you're not deserving of any of this. But, but for those of you that are mindful and prepared, because of the day drawing near, you're obedient and you're active and you're applying the word of God. You're responsive to his word that you might receive this great approving word. Well done, good and faithful servant. What a thrill. You could hear that. And not all Christians will receive it because not all Christians are good and faithful. But if you are, he will say it to you and you'll be thrilled forevermore. Well done, good and faithful servant. See, the day is drawing near. This is a tremendous motivation for us and is used in many passages in the New Testament to motivate our behavior. It's thrilling, but it also promotes trembling and fear, a good, righteous fear, a good, honorable fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 1, 7. <clears throat> and when we fear his return, we're making a good choice because when we think about the day of the Lord, it motivates us because we're thrilled about it coming soon. And we're also fearful of it coming because of the accountability that it brings. You see, in, in, in the return of the Lord, there's reward and there's reckoning. There's reckoning. So how are we fearful of the Lord? Accountability. Second Corinthians 5, 10 says, well, we all, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we, he may repay us for what we've done in the body, whether useful or unuseful. We need to be useful to the master. Second Timothy 2.22. We need to be prepared in a spirit of accountability for the fact that we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ because he's calling us into account. We need to be ready <clears throat> and prepared for that accountability. Another word of preparation associated with uh, trembling about his return. Matthew 25, 1 through 11 is the parable of the 10 virgins. They were given a job. They were given lamps and oil to prepare for the bridegroom, who's an image of Jesus. And <clears throat> 10 of them. And they were said, be here, be ready. He's coming. And you don't know when he's coming, but, but when he comes, you need to be ready and serving and prepared with the oil. Five of them were wasteful and they wasted their oil before he came. And five were approved because they were ready and serving at his return. May Jesus Christ find us at the task in the moment of his return so that we are prepared we're fearful about lost opportunities. We're fearful about Revelation 4.11. It says that we will give a crown. We'll cast our crowns in his presence. Will we be ready for that? I fear that. And that motivates me to, uh, to honor him. Luke 19.13 is parable of the ten minas. And, and in that parable, <clears throat> um, as he distributes resources to his servants, he says, go do my father's business. We don't own anything, our time, our energy, our abilities, our money, our possessions. We're only stewarding them. Are we stewarding them faithfully? Am I stewarding them faithfully for his glory? 
causes me to fear because they're to be dedicated exclusively to the Father's business, our possessions and cars and time and and our <clears throat> uh, the space that we're given. Think about it this way. Um, the church across the whole world has been given kind of a, a, a great vacation or a great break. <clears throat> um, less demands, less activity. I'm glad that some of you are meeting on Sundays, but those of you that aren't are still at home, and that's totally okay. You're still at home, maybe in your pajamas and a cup of coffee. Maybe you're looking over at your spouse like, yeah, it's pretty easy. <clears throat> that's okay, um, and it really is. But, but every time we're given a, a season of ease or a season of rest, one of two responses comes out of that, apathy or energy. When we take a vacation, one of two things happens. We come off that vacation saying, I want three more. We're apathetic. We're, we're lazy. Or we come out of that vacation energized and ready for the task. My point is, a lot of us have been on Christian vacation for these months of COVID lockdown. Are we going to come out of this focused and at the task ready because he's returning soon and we need to be ready? Because if you're paying attention, you can hear his hoofbeats in the distance. He's coming soon and we need to be prepared we want to steward what he's given us. We want to be ready to be uh, prepared for his return. We want to be accountable. And you can just read 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 12 about the sheer terror and power of his glorious return and how extraordinary that will be and how we will want for sure to be ready for that. Let me just give you a few thoughts about how to prepare for Christ's return on this theme of as the day draws near. I would just offer you very simply 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. If you want to be motivated by this great New Testament motivation, and there's James 5, 8, 9, there's 1 John 3, 3, there's 2 Timothy uh, 4, 7, and 8, uh, many passages that talk about the being motivated by the return of Jesus. But, but 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11 talks about the day of the Lord. And you can read that paragraph. It's a good long paragraph and maybe come up with five points of application for you to be prepared for the day as it returns. Or you can just go back to what, again, the author of Hebrews says here. If you want to be prepared for the day of uh, Jesus' return, you need to make disciples. How does he say it here? You need to consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. You need to not forsake or be convictionally committed to the assembling of the church together. And not just again on Sundays, but in smaller groups where you're challenging one another. You need to then encourage one another. You need to know people and, and meet them where they're at. If they're out of line or they're rebellious, rebuke them. If they're faint-hearted, then strengthen them. If they're curious about something, bring them answers. But all the more encourage one another as you see the day approaching. He is coming back soon, and we all need to want to have well-established, well-buckled faith so that he is glorified and our entrance into his kingdom is abundantly, joyfully, powerfully, gloriously supplied for his honor. Lighthouse Bible Church, let's take these words, let's apply them. May Christ be honored and Christ be praised in all of it. Thank you for this opportunity to gather around the word of God. May all of us leave this exchange and this word with a better, more buckled armor for God and his glory as we go about these, um, take the, up these opportunities for obedience. We receive these commands and we apply them for his honor. Let's pray together. Dear Lord God of grace, we thank you for your kindness. <clears throat> we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We would like you to be honored in it all.
be praised, be pleased, be magnified. Oh, we want that more than anything. We want that as we hear and know and sense and realize that the day is drawing near. If it was drawing near then, 2,000 years ago, it's certainly drawing near today. And we want to be prepared for it. And we want you to be magnified in it all. Help us, O oh Lord, we ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.